You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. I invite you to turn to page 406, Nehemiah 11. And there's two hefty chapters, chapter 11, chapter 12. I'm not going to read them all. But uh, Matt Luloyan has graciously volunteered to memorize the Hebrew names and recite them for us as a part of a worship dance. And so you can look forward to that. Um, if that doesn't happen, I'm sorry. But hey, let me, uh, can I give you an update? Harrisburg, I just want to say hello to you uh, by God's grace. It's been a deep joy to have a relationship with this church for a long time. And there's a change in the Liberty Network. In my life, I want to reannounce to you, uh, after planting the first church and seeing a couple neighborhood churches in Philadelphia, um, we were a multi-site church, and then a network of churches. This summer, a big change happened in the church where I was the lead pastor. Uh, John Alexander, who was baptized at Liberty River Wards 16 years ago, was voted unanimously to be the new lead pastor there, it was just a lot of joy. It was 130 people, over 130 people voted, um, members voted unanimously, and I was unanimously sent out to serve the network. So now, I lead this crazy thing full-time, 10 churches in our region, and I want to even more dedicate myself to serve churches and serve leaders that we might plant more churches, do more mercy stuff, and do more international mission together. I want to do more. There's more to do. And so now I get a chance to do that. It was crazy trying to be the lead pastor of the one church, which was Fast and Furious, and also my massive amounts of free time lead a network of soon-to-be 10 churches. And so I'm glad not to do that anymore, and I want to spend even more time with folks like Casey and Katie Horvath. You guys support and are behind Did you know this about Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania and Texas lead the nation in small towns per capita. I'm from a small town. We had uh, that special day in November, a no school day, otherwise known as the first day of deer hunting season. Yes. Gotta love your central PA. Uh, If we won't pray, for Central PA and the small towns, who else will? We've all got all these really cool and beautiful highways in Pennsylvania. I want to ask you to do something. When you drive down those highways and you see, a, look, look at that little town there by York. Look at this little town on the other side of Carlisle. And when you think about uh, the number of churches that close a year, actually, let me not be as dark. More churches are being planted in America than are closing now, which was not true when Liberty was first planted. By God's grace, all different streams, assemblies of God, independent Bible people, all denominations, uh, different networks are waking up. We had to plant churches because guess what? Jesus wants to grab people. Jesus wants to touch people. You folks have supported Joe Marlin in Liberty Gloucester City for a long time. A guy, he's now, well, he's 37 or something like that. 
I had the privilege of introducing him to Jesus when he was 16. And he went from, um, and his mom hugs me really hard still about the changes that happened in his life like it was me. And I always say, by God's grace, I was involved with that. It was Jesus. He went from emotional support classes to acing all of his classes, being in the regular classes. And his life just changed dramatically. And he went by himself to the biggest slum outside of Nairobi after he graduated high school. I remember him talking about this, and he's sort of raising support, and he's really disorganized. Hey, I'm just going to go to Africa. He's like 18. He'd been a Christian for a few years. And I'm just going to be involved with these, this missions group. And they didn't know what to do with him, and he went to the, one of the largest slums in Africa is outside Nairobi, and planted three churches. He led people to Christ who then would like plant a church. They're like 40 people. I think one of them, the biggest one was 40 people. But amazing, right? He, this is a guy you support. He sends me this text two and a half weeks ago. It's a picture of this bearded dude. Say, hey, my plumber just became a Christian. Tell me that story, Joe. So Joe tells a story. He's been praying for this guy. And the guy has a dream. The guy has a dream where Jesus taps him on the shoulder. He's like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know like, what to make of that. I had this dream where Jesus taps me on the shoulder. Joe didn't hesitate to interpret it for him. That happened because I've been praying for you for two years. I think God wants you to reach out to him and to come to know him. You've got some things to think through. You've got some things to investigate. You need to like deal with that. The guy's become a Christian. His daughter is 14, has become a Christian. He's going to be baptized. And I'm going to get to meet him this afternoon. Preach there at five, by God's grace. I want to, I'm telling you this because Jesus wants to tap people on the shoulder and grab them and intercept them and draw them to yourself. So, fellow Pennsylvanians, you know, what would God do if there was a, another 150 people driving around central Pennsylvania saying, Lord, we pray for Carlisle and we pray for the little towns, we pray for this neighborhood, and pray over your neighborhood. Uh, pray for your neighbors, pray for people you work with. Jesus wants to tap people on the shoulder. Uh, he does. And we're going to listen to how God uses leaders in Nehemiah 11. I preached on Nehemiah 11 so many times in my life, so I had so much to draw from. <laughs> Thank you for that, Matt Lemoyne. <laughs> There's some stuff there, though, so just put on your seatbelt. Don't give up. Uh, but I'm going to invite us to do something. This is how they do it in the rest of the world. Uh, most areas of the world where there's a time of group prayer, there'll be times where one person prays and everyone silently says yes, so you're praying too. There's other times when everyone prays at the same time. Because guess what? God's got the bandwidth for that all the time. Around the world, there's people praying to, to the living God in multiple languages 
simultaneously. And it never lags. God receives all those prayers through Jesus Christ. He hears them. And I want to invite you to pray for a couple neighbors who need to be tapped on the shoulder by Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to, to quietly, we'll do it quietly, to not freak out some of the Presbyterian brethren in our midst. We'll do it quietly, but I'm going to invite you, everyone who's willing, to pray quietly for a town, a neighborhood, a couple neighbors by name, lift them up to the living God, and I'll close this after like 30 or seconds, uh, 30 seconds or so. Does that sound good? Let's pray for our region where God has put us. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for the towns outside Carlisle and the West Shore and the East Shore. I pray, Heavenly Father, for the other names and the other places. For your prayer. Allow us to pray in faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers and that even our weak prayers, uh, when we go to you for faith, Lord, you can hear, hear us. Answer prayers that Jesus would be lifted up, that more churches would be planted, that more leaders strengthened, that more people would be tapped on the shoulder by Jesus Christ. Draw people to yourself and teach us now in this part of your word. Open our hearts to your word, your word to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So we're, let's dive in to Nehemiah. Page 406. I'm gonna read like the first six verses, then we're gonna take a break. This is Nehemiah. About 445 B.C. is when he showed up to rebuild Jerusalem, the holy city. Jerusalem, God had made all these promises and founded Jerusalem. These are my people. I will dwell here forever. I'm going to do huge things for the world. And yet, his people had not been fully devoted and had been disciplined for that. His people had, were like us. They were double-minded. They are idolatrous. And um, they'd been carried off into exile God said, if you disobey me, if you worship idols, if you don't love the poor, if you're just like the nations around you, I will let you be disciplined and your, your uh, city will be run over. And it was. And yet God promised to be merciful in the future and he raises up a civic leader. Ezra was the religious leader. He's the priest. And that's kind of the companion book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the civic leader whom God had raised up to rebuild the wall. And Matt has talked about it wasn't just a physical rebuilding. We need to build a wall. We need to rebuild the city. There was spiritual rebuilding. There was a renewal in faith. So anyone who's in a country that might need some renewal. In a time, if you live in a time where there needs to be renewal, if you're the kind of person that needs not just physical things, but spiritual rebuilding in your life. There's things for us, and uh, Matt, Pastor Matt asked me to think about leadership. 
There's a lot of leaders in here. There's a lot of people who are stepping up. And, but don't just think this is just for pastor types. Okay? Everyone here, if you're a high school kid and you contribute to the tone of the lunch table, and there's certain things that we all lead in different ways. We have different spheres of influence. There's things that you can affect. Okay? So here we go. Listen to God's word. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahatalel, of the sons of Perez, and Maseah, the son of Barak, son of Kol Hose, the son of Haziah, the son of Adiah, son of Joyrib, the son of Zechariah, the son of Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. This is God's word. Now, look for, back again at verse 1. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. What was Nehemiah recording about leadership? Okay, servant leadership. Leaders go first. Leaders take one for the team. Leaders take initiative. I've actually asked you, the first thing I ask you to do, where could you lead in prayer? Where could you take some initiative in prayer? Leaders go first. Leaders get a burden. Leaders take action based on God's promises. And it also means they go first. This book begins with this guy, Nehemiah, who has a place, he's cupbearer for the most powerful man in the world. It was a nerve-wracking job, meaning that he could wasn't allowed to ever bring anything up. And if he did, he risked his life. So he hears that Jerusalem's a mess, and he fasts and prays. Jerusalem's a mess, the wall's a mess, the temple's not doing well, it's a mess, and he prays and prays, and he goes in with a sour look on his face, and the king asks, what's wrong? You're not allowed to just bring up you're not allowed to speak to the king, just bring up anything to the king, but he went first. He took a risk. And you notice it says in Nehemiah 11, the holy city, God had made promises. God had made promises. And these are being reaffirmed by prophets. Zechariah, God says through the prophet Zechariah, I am jealous for Zion. It's another name for Jerusalem. I have returned to Zion and in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. Hey, you're a mess now, you're an idolater, you, uh, you broke up with me. But God says you're going to be called faithful in the future. I'm going to rename you. So God had promised to do big things in Jerusalem for the world, which is good news to us. We're speaking a language that hadn't developed in the world yet, language that hadn't been invented yet. 
were people worshiping the living God who didn't know about God yet in this time in history. And given that God had made these promises, these leaders go first. Some of them, right, were chosen by lots. The rest of the people cast lots. Hey, one out of ten. Some people willingly lived in Jerusalem. And it seems like it was riskier. You know, it was the fortified place. Maybe it, it, you had to go build a house. It was a little bit more complicated. You're taking one for a team. Now, um, I mean, this church exists. Let's, let's just reflect on that. This church exists because some people took initiative. There was a small group praying for their friends in Harrisburg. There was a guy who had been around some missionaries and he had, was around missions enough that he began to think, what if we thought like missionaries except in our own country? And that leads you to think about church planning and that guy's name is Matt Luloyan. And he reached out and I said, well, we've been praying that God would raise up a pastor. We flew Matt and Shay out. Leaders take initiative. Uh, it's interesting to know that this initiative was dramatic action. It was, Jerusalem had been threatened, the wall's done now, but it's still kind of sketchy. Most people didn't want to live there. So they were like, when people willingly chose to, everyone was like, hey, that's cool, thanks, man. Thanks for doing that. Appreciate you. It was a harder thing. Now, if there were only a church plant near you where it would be cool if people jumped in with them. If there were only a church plant, if there was only a place nearby where you could move and help out and put down roots, maybe God will raise up more people to jump in to this new church plant in Lebanon. 100,000 people in Lebanon County which is actually the same number at the book of Jonah, where Jonah's like, why don't you just destroy Nineveh? God, why are you so merciful? Don't you just hate it? And God says, what am I supposed to do? There's 100,000 people there who don't know their right hand from their left. Sometimes where you live is a key ministry decision. It can be a key... Um, it can be a key ministry decision. And it wasn't presumption. It wasn't just people taking this on themselves because God had made promises. God had made promises. Uh, for me in my own life, I, I had about as safe as a ministry job that you could ever get. My dad actually told me, just never leave that church Unless I showed up to work one day with my underwear on the outside of my jeans, I probably wasn't going to lose that job. And I remember um, going to Northern Liberties, the neighborhood where we've lived now, almost 17 years. And these were the churches in Northern Liberties. There was a Russian Orthodox church that met in Russian. That's going to kind of cut down on the number of people who are going to be reached. And a Romanian Orthodox church that met in Romanian... I think another Russian church had one service in English. 
and all the other churches had been shut down. A Methodist church, which was an amazing church planting movement in the history of our country, had been empty for 40 years. There was nothing there. And I saw a guy with a huge mohawk making out with his girlfriend on the sidewalk, and I thought, this is an interesting neighborhood, that this is (laughs) happening out here. The question is, here's the question, okay? There's a, a young millionaire named William Borden. I think that's his first name. Borden is his last name. He blew everyone away at the turn of um, the 20th century by, he's a young millionaire who had connections and went to an Ivy League type deal, and he went on the mission field, and he ended up dying pretty young. And everyone was kind of like, why is that guy making that decision? He could do whatever he wanted. One of the things that he said that I've never forgotten, he said, if you see 10 people carrying a log and one on the other end, who are you going to go help? Who are you going to go help? So how you live your life, think about how you live your life, where might God be asking you to go first? Sometimes leaders get a burden, like Nehemiah, and they do something brave. Sometimes then, they're a leader that recruits other leaders. The leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. They took a dramatic action. Uh, It's good that we don't all live in the same place, right? We're not all called to live in the same place, in the same kinds of places, but we ought to all say, Lord, my life is a living sacrifice to you. Here it is. Leaders go first. And the second point is this. Leaders do the slow work of building. Now, they're going to have some things to celebrate. There's some things that have been accomplished. But actually, one of the things that's helpful about this book, the work is long. They had to have a sword in one hand and a tool in the other. It's long. Uh, Church planning, I, I think I'm the only person that's visited all the other Liberty churches, because why would you do that, really? Like, what would be, no one's going to do that. It'd be like going on tour with fish or something. It's just like, you're just driving around for a long time. Uh, I, by God's grace, I've done that, and I'm reminded weekly, the work is long. The work of ministry is long. You I get a weekly reminder of every different stage. The launch team, to the church that's been around about seven, eight years, and has sometime got to get another service in here and plan another church. Not talking about anybody in particular. Pray for that, Liberty Harrisburg. But the work of building is long. It's slow. And any, okay, you know the saying, anything worth doing is worth doing right? That's true, but sometimes that kind of thinking like we can't do anything until we know we're doing it right, keeps us from taking the first step, which is probably starting it and doing it wrong for a while. Uh, That's really great you're doing that. You guys have great ministry partnerships. You've developed partners with local ministries, which is really cool. That Christmas thing, where you're gonna have the Christmas store, uh, that's changed over the years in how people have done it. Bob Lupton, um, 
is a, he's a ministry leader in Atlanta. He's written about this. He might have influenced the people that now have the Christmas store. Here's how it used to go, okay, like even 20 years ago. Needy parents would have Christmas gifts delivered to their kids by others. And Bob Luckton tells the story about being in a, um, being in a home while they're having some Christmas gifts delivered. And the kids are really excited. The mom's kind of relieved, a little bit embarrassed. The dad slips out the back. Just the indignity of not being able to do it himself and provide for his family was too much. And so there's more and more what people figured out. We need to have Christmas stores where parents can show up uh, and get super cheap gifts for their kids, and then those parents get the joy that all other parents get on Christmas Day, seeing your kids open up what you got for them. Let's give parents that gift. Now that's the way to do that. How was that discovered? They're doing it imperfectly for a long time. Ministries usually grow slow. They just do. Uh, I read this week, I never knew this, that okay, the priest who was the founder of the Jesuits, one of the co-founders, in 16th century Germany, he's in this city and there's a lot of homeless people in the city, and he says something which was revolutionary then, not at all now. He's like, you know what? Know what this city needs? Some business leaders. Some people to start some small businesses so that these guys can have jobs. Uh, there is relief, and that's necessary, and that's better than nothing, but he was saying we need some leaders who know how to run a business to sell some stuff and put these guys to work. Founded a monastic order. Ministry is slow. It's usually longer than we like to think. But God works through slow building. Even the story of Nehemiah, you see some things happen in fits and starts, and there's some lessons along the road and setback. So don't be surprised. Leaders go first. Leaders are willing to do slow work, uh, which has been encouraging to me as I think about a network. We're learning to be a network. Our leaders have new rhythms of meeting together. I'm figuring out my new rhythms. And we're also learning to be a network, meaning we have some growth to do. We need to get better at some stuff. What else is new? What could God be calling you to put your hand to? What could God be calling you to lean into? What could God be calling you to either go along with and jump on somebody else's vision or to initiate? And look what happens. There's physical rebuilding, but there's two different kinds of spiritual rebuilding happening in this whole section. The first is this. Okay, I'm going to go over to chapter 12. You can flip over to page 406, and the wall is going to be dedicated. I'm going to start reading at verse 27. 
And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites and all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nedophathites, and also from Beth Gilgal, from the region of Geba and Azmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So they have this part of their spiritual renewal, their spiritual rebuilding. They have this symbolic purification. Probably involves some sacrifices. That happens at the end of some chapter. Probably involves some sprinkling. There are different things where they would... The Levites and the priests would fast and they would sprinkle things to make them ceremonially clean. Now, these sacrifices, these little shorter purifications, they all put what the world ached for is for a deep purification, a total purification. Not a part way, but a deep cleansing. The things that got them exiled in the first place. Their idolatries, their lack of love, their lack of love to God. Do you relate to being a person who doesn't love God perfectly, doesn't love your neighbor like you want want to be loved, like you love yourself, and who has more greed and petty anger and foolish lust and pride than you know what to do with? The world needs to be purified starting with the people that God's drawing near. And friends, um, what's great about, hey, they're going to worship, they're going to sing, and they're going to be purified. What's great about talking about this now is that we see more, we see what God has done to purify the world. Uh, The book of Hebrews talks about how, you know, the old priests, they would do the same thing again and again, and even the high priest every year will go into the Holy of Holies. But now, Jesus Christ, Hebrews 9, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The copies of the heavenly things, okay, that's, that's Jerusalem, were purified with these r- rituals, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. Jesus Christ has entered, not into holy places made with human hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Uh, Friends, we can listen to this sermon as a purified people. The gospel means, look, if we put our faith in Christ, if you trust in Christ, we're saying to God, I need what you've done through Jesus to purify me. My own purity isn't enough. I need the work of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. I need what he did on the cross to count for me. I need the purification of Jesus. They have a a purification ritual, and they celebrate. And then, what do they do? They give thanks. Look what happens next. Verse 31, I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs. He's got two worship teams. 
two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall, to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshaiah and half the leaders of Judah. And he sends, look at verse 5, certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, they worship march. They go one direction, and then go to verse 38. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. One goes south, one goes north. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, by the gate of Yeshana, by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. And so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Menaimon, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah and Shemaiah, and Eleazar and Uzi, and Johanan, and Malchijah, and Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Uh, this is a high point of the book. They got the two worship teams, the two choirs, and the trumpets. All, everyone comes into the city, and they go around the wall, and they give thanks to God and all, for all the people. Uh, joy is mentioned like five times in the last verses. They rejoiced. They had joy. They rejoiced. Even the women and children rejoiced, and they all give thanks. Uh, what were they probably singing? Probably... It might be Psalm 48. Psalm 48 has this section. It goes like this. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Walk around Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Even though... They still have things to learn, and there are reforms that happen after this. There's things to like do in the hearts of the people. Even though you are a work in progress, if your faith is in Jesus, you can give thanks. If you, and if your faith is not yet in Jesus, you can put your faith in him. Maybe you're becoming dimly aware of your sin, and that's a, pre, a prereq. That needs to happen before you understand what it is to draw near to God through Jesus and trust in him. Put your trust in Jesus. And then we together, imperfect people, can give thanks for where we're at and for the church we're a part of, even though it's still being built, and for the person we are, even though that we are still being rebuilt. Thanksgiving is an antibody for cynicism. It's really hard to be cynical and thankful at the same time. And we're in an especially cynical age. Social media does not help with that, right? Someone, someone somewhere right now is tweeting something that's bothersome to you, right? That's cynical. No matter what you think, someone is making fun of the opposite. 
And we can feed on that. Uh, sometimes I'm actually, I try to stay unplugged out of some of the larger evangelical Twittersphere just because so much of it is a downer. It doesn't make me love Jesus more. I, I'm just saying I struggle with this. So I struggle, like being annoyed at stuff. One antibody is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an antibody. Give thanks for what God has built so far. Part of uh, continuing on the path is give thanks for what God has built so far. Harrisburg, I'm so thankful for you, for the leaders God has raised up, for what he's still doing. It's a deep joy. I'm thankful for you. I want you to know that. I hope you're thankful for each other. I hope you're thankful for what God is doing in and through you. And it, it's key to joy, learning to be someone who just takes um, pleasure in the small gifts of the moment. Sometimes we need people to balance us. One of these people that balances me is my wife. I tend to get up in the morning and be filled with burden and a list of things to pray for and things to go after. And my wife tends to get up and just more her default is to just be thankful for stuff. Uh, one of the privileges about serving with other kind of leaders is being around someone who looks at the world with different glasses. It can be a painful thing about marriage and also a sanctifying thing about it. You see life through their eyes all the time because you're around them. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that's one of the many ways I'm in the process of being balanced, being with someone, I'm, by God's grace, married to someone who's more thankful than me almost all the time. It's kept me, kept me sane. Uh, Harrisburg, where could you today be thankful for gifts of creation, for God's grace to you and Jesus, for the imperfect church that you're a part of that's still being built? Sing the song, give thanks in your heart. In Harrisburg, remember, leaders go first. They take initiatives based on God's promise. And in that journey, let us be thankful as a purified people, for that leads to joy. Would you allow me to pray for us? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess to you there's more to be done in us and in the world. Uh, save us from looking at the world with the eyes of cynicism that it's only all broken. It's only all not going to work. It's only all going to go backwards. Give us eyes to see all of your deep goodness for us in Christ, how you purified us of our sins in the deepest way. You're still doing that. Help us believe that for other people. Help us to intercede and pray that for other people. Raise up leaders here. Continue to raise up leaders here. Uh, more deaconesses and deacons more business leaders, more people who serve with their hands, the most common spiritual gift, service, what holds the whole body together. Lord, lead us. Um, 
We pray for faith to take steps of initiative uh, in our subdivision, on our street, at work, with family and friends. Lord, lead us, and we pray we do that together. Uh, We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.